Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. Oh, hmm, one moment. Is that you, John? Yep. You sure the sun's down this time? I'm pretty sure. Are you ready to do the podcast? I ain't playing around with no pretty sure. Last time I came out and it almost died. You know I can't do the sunlight. I know. Let me let me go check one more time. 100% sure. All no right. sun. Well, here I come then. Hello, John. Good to see you. <laughs> hey, there he is. Ready to Out do some podcasting. That's right. Yeah. Got a good rest in. Yeah, feeling good. Feeling good. Ready for a good night. Nightly blood. Not yet. Ah, uh, yes. It's a good thing we're doing this uh, remotely, huh? Good for you. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be caught between those <laughs> fangs. <laughs> we're ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on tonight's episode, we are reviewing the 1979 horror film, if you didn't realize it, Salem's Lot, starring David Soul and Bonnie Bedelia, directed by Toby Hooper. This is episode number two of A King's Journey, and this is a series where we review Stephen King movies. Uh, we started with Carrie. That was episode number one a few episodes back. So if you haven't already seen, listened to it and are interested, go back and listen to our review of that film. And uh, just to jump in here, we are doing these in the review that they are in the order that they were released, which is why right. Carrie and then Salem's a lot. I, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, experiment and we're going to kind of build our the cinema men rankings of these mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. over time. Uh, if this is your first time joining us. What we typically do with most of our episodes is start off with a review and discussion of the film. We follow that up with the Spice Awards, awards that we give out to recognize significant portions of the film. And we wrap up with Did You Know, a section in which we go through some interesting facts about the movie we found on the Internet. This is a spoiler podcast, so if you've never seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie and come back. Stay tuned until the end of the episode where we reveal what our next movie will be so you can follow along with us. If you want to get in touch with us or want to give us your take on a movie, email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. If you would like to support us monetarily and have the means to do so, you can go to anchor.fm slash cinemamenpodcast slash support. We use the money to improve the podcast. So in advance, thank you very much. Let's get started. All right, let's let's do it. Ben Mears has been away too long. And now at last, he's come home. The men fought at Valley Forge. Daddy, come back safe. Home to the childhood memories, to the old familiar faces, to a life unmolested by time and with your saints let him rejoice in your presence forever we ask it through christ our lord amen home to salem's lot a town too good to be true what was that did you happen to notice the time when the boys left 
We shouldn't have gone through the woods. It's a shortcut. Well, then we should have been here half an hour ago. Wait! Danny, wait! Something is happening. Something terrible. Henry! Where's Ralphie? Oh. Where's your brother? Once the kid disappears, then this. You're not leaving Salem's lot, are you? I'm not leaving. Don't you understand what's happening? You? Yes, I do. It's in the Marston house. Good evening. I dreamed. You slept there all night? Yeah. A little tired. Didn't sleep much last night. I was dreaming. Somebody... All right. Plot synopsis for this movie, Salem's Lot. Based on the Stephen King novel, Salem's Lot. Mm, Clever name. (laughs) A novelist and a young horror fan attempt to save a small New England town, which has been invaded by vampires. Matt Hurdle, Mm. would you like to give your probably not brief review because mine wasn't either (laughs) hot take? Yeah. All right. Here's here's what I got. Are you ready for this? Here we go. Yes. Um, so I want to start this out by making it plainly known in case you don't, that this was originally a made for TV miniseries. Um, so this was filmed for TV, uh, and went straight to TV. There was no movie release for this other than it will, except for later on after the fact, when they decided to take all the parts and make a three hour long movie and release that, which is what we watched. Uh, so all of this review is to be taken with the filter that this movie was made for television. Right. With that lens on, uh, and putting myself back in 1979, which I didn't exist then, but, um, (laughs) you know, I'm putting myself there at that time period. I'm looking, I'm seeing the TV shows that's on and I, I sit down and I'm watching this show. I think this is a really good movie in that context. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's watching it all in one piece like we did. It's very long. It's drawn out. And honestly, it's pretty dang boring in a lot of parts. But if you took this and you put it into a miniseries format, you watched an hour and a half one night. And then the next week you watched another hour and a half or the next day or however they did it. I think it's amazing. Um. The acting's pretty, pretty bad. Um, but everything else is actually pretty good. Um, it, you know, it, it's long and it's drawn out, but despite that fact, the pacing is decent enough that I didn't get that bored. I mean, I did, but if I was watching this an hour and a half <laughs> chunks, I wouldn't have. Um, right. maybe, maybe I should just forget that because we're talking about the movie, not the miniseries, even though they're the same things huh? as a movie. I mean, yeah. As a movie, this is it's it's pretty boring in a lot of places, but it's super atmospheric. You can tell that they really worked to make this. It's like it's solid. The The music is top notch. The acting is not the plot's decent enough. It's got lots of spooky moments that don't really hold up so much now. But back then, I'm sure were terrifying. Uh, I've heard and read a lot of people who said that this movie uh, was responsible for them getting into horror and gave them nightmares for years. And 
So I have mm-hmm. to give it credit for that. There, there's some pretty genuinely, genuinely spooky parts in it. It's just, you know, it doesn't hold up that much, especially if you're a big horror watcher now. So, yeah, honestly, uh, it wasn't that bad. It, it it was too long, but uh, it was interesting. It was good. It was atmospheric. And all in all, I enjoyed it. Now, would I sit down and be like, hey, I need a movie to watch? I know Salem's Lot. No, <laughs> no, it's not that movie. But you don't think um, so? <laughs> I don't have any regrets from watching it. I, you know, it was OK. But yeah. if you watch this movie while you're sleepy, you're going to fall asleep. Unless Indeed. you're one of the, the people that this movie really spooks or you have some nostalgia spooks from it. I can attest to that because the first time I tried to watch this, I did fall asleep. Uh, (laughs) I think, Matt, typically we've done a a few of these episodes. Mm -hmm. Typically, we one of two things happens. Either we both are on the same page. Typically, we generally like movies, most movies, Mm -hmm. or I'm more favorable on a movie. And you like when you dislike a movie, like it's apparent. Mm hmm. Usually I'm the one that likes the movie and you're the one that, nah, not yeah. so much. I think we're going to be a little flip-flopped oh, tonight. <laughs> I liked it and I didn't. <laughs> I, d- I didn't dislike it, but this movie annoyed me. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with what you said, that this was not a movie. It was a broken up, I don't know how many episodes it was, maybe just two but it was a made for TV thing. Like, like Matt said, it went straight to your television. It wasn't had no theatrical release. And so it wasn't meant to be watched in it's three hour and four minute runtime mm. all, all in one sitting. But nonetheless, I, I could only think about it as a three hour movie. And so it annoyed me for that fact, but not, only because of that. Um, it's not a bad movie, but, and I think it has a lot of merit, but I think it annoyed me because it was so close to that line between a B grade campy horror film and a really good horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, there are moments in this movie that are genuinely creepy. Uh, and that's really what kept me watching. The score is also really good. It's kind of reminiscent of like a, old 1930s universal horror movie. Yeah. The, the or music something. was outstanding. I agree with you on that one completely. Yeah. And the, the feeling of the movie, the entire movie sort of feels like one of those hammer horror films from the fifties or seventies, whenever they came out. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting is fine. I, some of it was really bad. Uh, there was nothing that was really exceptional in my opinion uh for being and for being a tv movie the cinematography was decent but again it didn't there was anything stand out but it did it wasn't terrible um but man this movie is a slog yeah <laughs> as i mentioned it's 3 hours and 4 minutes if you count credits and what happened was I found myself constantly try- pressing the pause button to see how much 
longer was left in the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you got to think too. In the original TV series, you would have had commercial breaks. Commercial breaks, yeah. Mm-hmm. You could get up and go pee, or go grab a bag of popcorn or something. And like I said, the first time I watched this, I I fell asleep. You probably could have, and again, the format was different when it first came out. But you probably could have shaved at least thirty minutes off of this, and I think it would have been much more bearable. Mm-hmm. The the first 40 minutes of the movie, basically nothing happens. <laughs> like things happen, but the it doesn't it's all do set anything up. to yeah, yeah, it's all set up. It's like uh, it's a two episode show. The first half is all set up, and then the second half yeah. is all the action and the spooks. Yeah. But even after even after stuff starts happening, it goes so slowly. And I don't mind uh I don't mind a slow burn movie, but man, this was like a snail scooting through molasses or something. It was like <laughs> a snail scooting through molasses. There you go. Like, it was bad. It was almost unbearable. Um, again, back to the TV movie, but there was no blood or really many scenes of violence in the movie. Mm-hmm. And being on airing on TV, they probably couldn't do that. Uh, but anytime a vampire was about to chomp down on a neck, the camera would freeze and then zoom in mm-hmm. and then fade out. And it that really made it feel more like a soap opera or even a play rather than a movie. Um, it, it does. And it it re- kind of has a play feel. I, I get that. Yeah. yeah. It, it really bothered me. I wanted this. Like, this is Stephen King. Like... <laughs> If they couldn't pull off the the horror the way they wanted to, maybe they shouldn't have made it into a TV movie. But anyway, uh, there's a lot of silly moments in the movie that I don't think were intended to be silly. And that's probably due to the age of the movie more than anything. And we'll get into this later, but the book versus the movie, they changed quite a bit that really impacted the story. So overall, I didn't hate the movie, like I said. But at three over three hours, I could only recommend this to a hardcore Stephen King fan or hardcore horror, like have to see every horror movie ever made kind of thing. And it's not one I'll watch again. I And like I said at the beginning, I could see a masterpiece here, but there are just too many flaws for me to say it was great. I think it was just fair to good. There you go. There you have it. Rant over. (laughs) (laughs) Toby Hooper directed this. Yeah. This movie. That was a surprise, huh? Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Toby Hooper, most famous for uh, one of the most influential horror movies of all time, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Mm -hmm. which was done in 72? 74. 74. And this this movie was made in 79. So... uh, he was relatively up and coming at that point. And, um, you know, he uh, he also did Poltergeist. Yeah. Another, Poltergeist another very influential great. classic horror movie that had a I actually, curse with it. <laughs> yeah. I actually prefer Poltergeist over Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But yeah, that was that was Toby Hooper. And I I think the direction of the movie is decent. Yeah, I agree. Um 
you know, like I said, it, it was long. It was too long. But despite the fact that it was long, uh, I still found myself, you know, being hooked in enough by the the pacing of the story that I wasn't just like falling asleep, unlike some people. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I felt like the the directing was okay. It was pretty good. I guess we should talk about the. Uh, it being a TV miniseries, I know we mentioned that several times already, but yeah, the so the TV miniseries, um, it it was a two episode series that aired. Um, I don't know the order that it aired in in terms of well, not order scheduling. So I don't know if it was mm-hmm. like you know you, you watch the first part on Friday and the second part on Saturday, or if there was a week in between, or how how they did that, but mm-hmm. um. I think the fact that this is a TV miniseries is really what saves it. Uh, you know, cause like I said, watching it under the context of this was a 1979 made for TV movie. I mean, in mm-hmm. that, in that context, this is phenomenal in my opinion, because you, you have to film everything for a TV audience. You can't go crazy with anything. You have to be spooky, but you can't be gory. You can't be violent. Um, which means it's all up to your atmosphere mm-hmm. and um, creature effects, I guess. But, you know, it's, 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 we're going to stick with atmosphere. <laughs> uh-huh. Good, good choice. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the sets, the sets were amazing. Like, I, I don't know what the budget was for this, but it had to have been significantly high for a television piece because the sets all looked great. Uh, you know, the the yeah i don't know it's just in the context of a tv show this is this is really really good in the context of a tv show set in 1979 that was not set made in 1979 this is amazing sure no i'll I'll give you that that the set design and all this uh all that was was really good um this originally aired on cbs between November 17th and November 24th of 1979. So the 17th and the 24th. Yeah. So somewhere between those. So a week they had a week to talk about it at work and then they came back. Yeah. It's great. With a budget of $4 million. um, 4 million for a TV movie in 79. That's quite a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But I still think that. We we can, you know, you're saying that it's what saves it. And I, I agree that the fact that it's a TV series, it gets a pass. But my question is, why? <laughs> why was this not just a movie? And that they could have done so many things differently to make it better. Well, I think your um, review tells us why. <laughs> because when you watch it all at once, you fall asleep because it's too long and sloggy. Well, that's what I'm saying. If the, if you had made a movie, you could have made it a two to two and a half hour horror film akin to Carrie and yeah. cut a lot of stuff out, added more gore and horror. Uh, and to to be fair, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the minutia and stuff that's in the book is in in here. Mm-hmm. But they changed so much else that it's weird that they changed anything at all because they had so much time to work with. Mm. <clears throat> so 
Why don't we talk about some of the uh, cast of characters? Okay. We have Ben Mears, who is played by David Soul. Ben is the main main character. So, yeah, I felt like he did a pretty good job, all in all. Uh, a lot of the acting was pretty hokey and got crazy. And despite all of that, he, he maintained a pretty, a pretty solid, I guess, performance through the entire thing. Yeah. I, I didn't really get tired yeah. of him. I don't remember ever looking at David as an actor and going, oh, no. You know, during this movie. Uh, yeah. He looked great as far as the part goes. There were some hokey scenes, but I have to chalk that up to writing more than I do the acting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, th- I thought he did great. Yeah, I agree. I thought he had some slightly overacted moments, but again, that could have been the writing. Um, I thought he, uh, you know, this is uh, one of the, Starsky and Hutch. He's one of those. Mm-hmm. I forget which one he played, but he was one of those uh, guys. And so he's a little, uh, I don't know. He seems a little too attractive to be a writer. <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> Sorry if you're a writer listening to this show. Yeah. No offense to writers, but. Um, <laughs> he played Hutch, I don't by know. the way. Okay. There you go. But yeah, I thought he did a decent acting job. Um, Again, nothing Academy Award winning or anything, but yeah, definitely not. He got he got the job done. Uh, I do want to talk about though James Mason, who played Straker. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic. Yes, I think he was, sir. He was. He was great. Uh, James um, Straker, you might know him from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, where he played Captain Nemo. At least that's Never where I, that's what I knew him from mainly. He's also in North by Northwest, uh, but I recognize him mainly from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I read the book. I haven't watched the movie. You may have to change um, that. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, he played. Uh, so there's there's uh, I guess two antagonists. Uh, mm-hmm. There's Straker and there's Barlow, and Barlow is the master of the house, basically. The, and Straker, uh, HVIC, <laughs> the, the head vampire in charge. There we go. The HVA, HVIC may need some good HVAC in his house. <laughs> the house was a little <laughs> rough, but I mean, he's an undead monster who lives in the root cellar. So, well, you know, you got to cut him a little slack. <laughs> uh, but Straker is a, equal to basically. Uh, What's uh, Dracula's sidekick? Renfried? <sighs> Renfried, yeah. yeah. He's like the the minion. Like he goes around and he does all the daily work because Barlow can't go out. So they, they own a shop in town. They're trying to build up this antique shop and kind of establish themselves in the town. And Straker is wearing this. He's always well put together. He's wearing a suit with a bowler hat. and. Being creepy, but also trying to make friends in town, sort Mm -hmm. of. (laughs) Uh, But I thought he he did a decent job in uh, in his acting. Yeah, he uh, he knocked it out of the park. Um, He stole the show, and I'm probably Mm -hmm. giving away my uh, best actor 
spice the word here, but I mean, come no. on, he was he was pretty much far and away uh, the best actor in this production. I think very very Vincent Price uh, oh, yeah. aura about him, like he had that mm-hmm. stoic, well dressed, uh, proper English kind of feel to him. Uh, we have the love interest. Bonnie Bedelia, who Ooh. plays Susan Norton. Oh, Bonnie. <laughs> oh, Bonnie. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, she had one of those oh, roles that... I got confused. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. But when you said Bonnie, what? I was thinking the Bonnie, the character Bonnie. Oh. Not the actress no. Bonnie. You're, you're, okay, yes. Susan Norton. <laughs> Never mind. That is mind. confusing. My yeah, old like Bonnie <laughs> was for Bonnie Sawyer, played by Julie Cobb, not ah. Susan Norton, played by Bonnie Bedelia. Sorry. Ah. <laughs> but still, I think she had a underplayed role. Like mm-hmm. Her purpose was to go out with David Soul and um, get kid- kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, she, and I think yeah. she had a she had a larger role in the book and she was more important, um, had more things to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. She is, um, well known for the Die Hard movies. Die Hard yeah. one and two. John McLean's wife. Uh, Holly, Holly McLean. Holly, Holly Gennaro McLean. She is the aunt of famous actor Macaulay Culkin. Oh, I didn't know that. Her actual That's name cool. is Bonnie Bedelia Culkin. Hey. And her brother is Macaulay Culkin's father. And yeah, she did pretty good too, I think. Like you're saying, she didn't have a, a major role really. Um, and she had some kind of questionable uh scenes, but I mean, you know, <laughs> actually, yeah, okay, yeah, she did okay. Just you know, <laughs> so there's some questionable parts in there. Uh, a person that was in this movie that I was surprised to see, Fred Willard, yeah, who played Fred Larry Willard. Crockett. Uh, and I know him the most from Modern Family in his mm-hmm. later years, but uh, he's been around for forever, a legendary comedic actor. Um, and he played Larry Crockett, who was the local insurance salesman. I think. Uh, realtor. I think he was a realtor. realtor. Yeah, yeah. That's right. He was uh, having an affair with uh, Bonnie, who was the character played by Julie Cobb. And she was married to. Uh, well, they weren't married. Um, she wasn't the, married to George. I don't think Cody they were Sullivan. married. I think they were just dating. Yeah. Okay. I'm so not she positive was, of that. But okay. the reason I say that is because look, if you look at the characters' names, her name is Bonnie oh, sure. Sawyer. Oh no, it is Bonnie it's- and Cully Sawyer. They were married. Forget everything I said. <laughs> I thought they were married, and then I was looking through the credits, and I was like, "Oh, they didn't have the same last name. They just have just been living together." But probably what got me was once again a Bonnie <laughs> Bedelia. Bonnie, yeah. dang it, Bonnie! <laughs> Bonnie, you done got me twice now. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they <laughs> sorry, sorry, you couldn't see that because this is a podcast, but I just did the home alone thing with a there horrible, horrible oh sound that you did here. Uh, yeah, so they were married, and uh, but she was having an affair with Larry Crockett, aka and, Fred uh, Willard, 
Yeah. Oh, Fred Willard. And he gets a, a surprise later on when he uh, gets caught. Mm-hmm. Cully, Cully finds out that they are uh, getting it on and goes a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, we should not forget to mention J- Jeffrey Lewis, who plays Mike Ryerson. And he was the local grave digger mm-hmm. in the town. Uh, he is personally, I know him best in. If you remember a few episodes back, I forget which movie it was. Uh, there was a character I mentioned. He was a, just briefly in the movie and he played in a movie any which way but loose with Clint Eastwood. Okay. You don't remember that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Jeffrey Lewis also was in that movie. Any which way but loose or any which way you can. Probably both. I forget. But he was in that movie with Clint Eastwood. And that's what I remember him the most as. Uh, but he was in this movie as the grave digger and he ends up becoming a vampire. And what results is one of the most ridiculous scenes in movie history. <laughs> I may be overselling it, but anyway. let's not uh, let's not forget the uh, amazing, memorable character of Ann Norton, who was played ben by Norton. Bonnie Bartlett. <laughs> so many Bonnies. <laughs> this movie is riddled with Bonnies. Ann Norton. She was barely in the movie, though, wasn't she? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I do yeah. want to make mention of another character, though. Uh, this was one of my favorite characters in the in the show and okay. uh he was played by a fairly famous person and that is uh deputy constable um no i'm sorry not deputy constable constable parkins gillespie who was paid ah, by yes. uh, kenneth mcmillan mm-hmm. uh, kenneth mcmillan famous for being baron vladimir in dune uh as or well Conan. as being an amadeus and uh, he was in another stephen king's movie that will do uh, as we go through the list called Cat's Eye. And mm-hmm. uh, honestly, I thought he had an amazing performance. And if we were doing underrated, which we're not this week, but if we were, I would definitely give him most underrated performance. Yeah, he w- he put in a solid performance. And I'll tell you what I liked about that character is that it's a small town cop. But, you know, typically when you're looking at small town cops, you've got two stereotypes. The bumbling Mayberry idiot, or you've got the, uh, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, don't come into my town, uh, (laughs) badass who just blows up all the drug lords by himself because he has a crazy friend who has a bunch of guns in a shed or something. He he breaks the mold here. He's, He's not some amazing warrior, you know, in a badge. And he's not a bumbling idiot. He's just a smart guy. Who's really good at doing his job? I felt like you know when the mm-hmm. when the kid goes missing, he instantly uh, starts suspecting uh, Striker, and with good reason. Like he's he's looking at evidence, he's putting things together. I, I thought he was really good. I had the same exact thought as I was watching it. Um, he just gets things done. He he doesn't ignore evidence and suspicion he suspects ben mears he suspects straker he suspects barlow and he actually has his deputy go out and dig up their 
backgrounds to figure out if there's any kind of connection or if Ben Mears has had any prior history with criminal mm-hmm. activity or anything. And I thought that was, that was well done. Yeah. It was really cool to see a small town cop. That's smart. Yeah. And in, in such a small role, like, like you said, usually they relegate those guys to just small bit plots and mm-hmm. they end up being dummies or just really machismo guys. So speaking of plots, mm-hmm. there is so much going on <laughs> in this mm-hmm. movie that just makes it could all be taken out, in my opinion. John Murphy. And <laughs> what's that? How are you going to give Chinatown a 10 <laughs> and then poo poo that there's too much going on in this? Because I will tell you, <laughs> sir, in Chinatown, there was stuff going on, but it all connected like a finely made jigsaw puzzle. Mm. <clears throat> in Salem's Lot, they're just like, oh, here's a man and a woman. They're having an affair. Oh, over here, we got this guy. He's going to drink some beers in a graveyard. And we got this guy over here. He's the grave digger. He's looking for his dog. And we've got uh, this guy over here. He's mad at this girl because she's dating another man. <laughs> it's just like all this stuff. Just boom, boom, boom. Scene after scene after scene. And it doesn't seem to connect in any way, shape, or form. All right. And it, and even at one point I put in my notes, I was like, are they ever going to wrap up these subplots? And I've read the book mm-hmm. and I know what's going to happen. But when you're watching it as a three hour movie, you're like, come on, come on, yeah. get, get with it. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you on that. I just wanted to give you a little hang. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's there's too much going on. hundred percent. No, this isn't necessarily related to what we're talking about, but you saying what you just did made me think of a scene that I wanted to bring up. Okay. So the, uh, the caretaker of the graveyard, I, uh, I'm not thinking of that character's name right now, but, uh, the, the yeah, Mike, Mike Ryerson. So he's burying the kid after the kid gets killed in the hospital from his brother, I think. Mm -hmm. And, he just all of a sudden starts staring into space, goes over to the kid's casket, jumps down into the hole and opens up the, the casket. Can uh-huh. you explain to me why he did that? Yes. And I had the same thought. And it again, having known, knowing what, knowing what is going on because of the book, I know that when that wind starts picking up, it's Barlow. He's, he's, basically putting Mike into a trance and urging him to do certain things. Okay. But it's not even remotely explained Mm -hmm. or it makes any sense in in the movie. He looks like he's in a trance. And I thought maybe that the boy had hypnotized him from inside the coffin. But then later Mm -hmm. they clearly explained that they do that by looking you in the eye. I was like, well, no, he was in a closed coffin. He wasn't looking him in the eyes. So that that scene just really confused me. Yeah. And that happened a few times. I, I think uh, it happened with Ben Mears. Like he gets all sweaty mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just all of a sudden and he acts like he's out of breath or he's real tired. And it, it it's not very well explained in the movie. And I think that. Which is weird given how much time they had. 
Yeah, they could have <laughs> thrown a two-minute thing in there that said, you know, oh, I, you know, I felt real weird the other day, and maybe mm-hmm. it was because of the evil of the house or the evil of who lives there or whatever. I don't know. Uh, uh, sorry, but yeah, you're right. So you, there's a whole you agree. bunch. Yeah, too many. Yeah, too many subplots. The creature effects. We can talk about that. What do you think? What did you think about the vampires and the who boys and <laughs> uh, grade A crap? That's what I think about them. <laughs> Barlow was basically a copy and paste of Nosferatu. It's like they yeah. took the original Nosferatu character and dyed him blue like a Smurf, and were like, "Here's your vampire." Um, yeah. Another another notable turd. Was the dead dog? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! The dead dog looked like something you'd go into Spirit Halloween and come out with for twenty bucks. It was terrible. What What was so funny about that is they lingered on it. Mm-hmm. Like they zoomed in on the do- dog and then they kept it there for about five seconds. Like that's bad enough that you probably just need to see a glimpse of it and move. Yeah, in the <laughs> shadows, they, they, please. They lingered on it because um, the first time you see the dog dead, that's kind of what they do. You get a quick cut in the shadows and even mm-hmm. then it looks bad, but it's quick yeah. enough that you can forgive it. But then later when he finds the dog and stares at it, you're just like, oh, no, <laughs> like that looks like my five year old made that out of clay and daycare. They did have some the kid. What was his name? Uh, Mark, was it Mark Petrie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was the uh, he was the kid who was played by uh, Lance Kerwin, mm-hmm. and he was real uh, into magic and fantasy and horror, and so his room is filled with uh, rubber masks and makeup effects and all kinds of posters and interesting things. And I thought that room was cool, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually thought. The other vampires, other than Barlow, yeah, they weren't I mean, bad. They had I a mean, good enough makeup job that they. Uh, okay, <laughs> the fangs looked good, and the, the good. eye, the eye contact lenses were good. Yellow eyes. Everything mm-hmm. else, I think, was pretty crappy. And they're just like, okay, yeah. I'm gonna throw a bag of flour in the air, <laughs> and then you're gonna run through it. <laughs> you know, and then we're going to rub it yeah. all in your skin. So you look real pasty pale and then we're going to call it a day. True. Man. Creature effects. Yeah, the, not good. They uh, low, the low, high, low marks on creature effects. The highlights were the fangs and the, the contact lenses or the mm-hmm. whatever they used to make their eyes glow yellow. I'm glad we're on the same page with these things. A lot of them. Yeah. Not all of them, <laughs> but a lot of them. The creature effects. I mean, even if you're a big fan of this movie, I think you've got to say, man, that looks terrible. And Mm -hmm. if we want to move that forward into special effects, a lot of those were pretty crappy too. I know a lot of people, when they're talking about this movie, there's the iconic scene of the glit boy floating in front of the mirror with the smoke and how scary Mm -hmm. that was as a, as a 40 year old man watching that, I can literally see the device that's holding him up like between his legs moving around by the window and then retreating back. And I'm just like, yeah, this isn't working on me. <laughs> okay. So 
Like maybe I wasn't paying enough attention because I was so bored. Oh, ouch! I, I didn't. I didn't notice. <laughs> I didn't notice the magic happen, or the I didn't see the the seams, and so that was one of the more effective scenes in the movie for me. I can see where Although, it could get people, especially, yeah. you know, if you're really into the film and you're really, you know, you're younger or it's in the seventies and you hadn't seen stuff like this before. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, at first it is a little bit creepy, but I, I think about that scene in the book when I read it and that scene is oh, terrifying in the book. Still to this day, it sticks with me and watching it in the film. I'm just kind of like, okay. I feel like I'm watching a play and Peter Pan is coming down from Neverland. Like it's, <laughs> it just didn't work that well for me, but I know it did yeah. for a whole lot of people. And so I don't want to knock it too hard. It just, it didn't work for me. Yeah. What didn't work for me was when they did it three more times or two or three more times, the same gag. Like, yeah. They milked it a little bit. You can't maybe in the book you could pull that off, but not in the movie because it's the same exact thing mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And there's one time uh, it's when they try to get Mark Petrie. Uh, the older brother comes rapping on the door and he uh, doesn't get fooled. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I think his name is David Glick. It was Danny one of the Glicks. Glick. I'm not sure yeah, which. Danny Glick. So he he gets. <laughs> it's like he gets pulled back using that string that's holding him on, and it just mm. keeps going and going and going. And he's just like <laughs> he's got the same pose, and he's just going backwards. And I mm-hmm. that was just so funny. Yeah, <laughs> they could have cut that off really early, and it would have made been better. But so yeah, creature effects, special effects. The big old thumbs down on that, even though I like this movie, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty rough. Okay. So this sort of falls in line, but the scares, like the horror moments, I mean, to me, like I said, it was like a, a tease almost for every single one. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, I'm going to bite you in the neck and freeze fade out. I'm going to I'm going to admit this because, like I said, all in all, I like this film. But in terms of the scares, like classical, this is a very scary part of the movie. This is this is a lightweight. Yeah, I never. I never really got scared in the entire film. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to to add to that, though, the, I feel like the the goodness of this movie comes a lot more from the atmosphere than it does from the scares. Sure. I never was like, oh, you know, even in the parts that were supposed to make you jump scared, I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's that goofy vampire smurf again. And I I, I wanted to laugh more than jump, you know. <laughs> but the atmosphere that the movie creates with the setting and the, the serious tone and the excellent score, I think that's really what's good about the scary part of it. Mm hmm. Not so much the individual scenes, although I know there's a lot of people that will disagree with that. But I guarantee you, most of the people who disagree with that saw this movie when they were kids and it scared the crap out of them. And when they watch it now, they remember those feelings that they had when they were scared the first time they watched it. And that's why they love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. This movie, in my opinion, uh, is held up by 
the set, the score, and the overall feeling of cinematography. This, yeah, it's an yeah. atmosphere. The the whole atmosphere makes it. Yeah. Yeah, they, they knocked that out of the park. Um for sure. It it really like if it was in black and white, I would believe it was a an old like hammer horror film with you know uh what's his name? Christopher Christopher you're not you're not got my back. <laughs> Sorry, I don't I know who you're talking about, but I, I don't I can't Count think Dooku. of it. <laughs> Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Yeah, thank you. And that's that's really what I appreciated about the movie, but it was just so long and nothing was scary. And when they got to a horrific moment, it was like, Oh, we're on CBS. We can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's another thing about this movie that is a little weird and it, it does follow the book, but it's bookended by this future story in which Ben Mears has survived the dealings that going on in Salem's lot and him and Mark Petrie are in Guatemala and they are basically being chased by vampires mm-hmm. and you get what five minutes of that maybe in the at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and then you get about five minutes at the end. Right. <clears throat> and at the end, uh, you've watched the movie and at the end they are, they found, uh, Sue, Susan Norton. And she's been turned into a vampire and Ben Mears has to end up killing her with a stake. Yeah. They're, they're in Guatemala on the run. And what happened is Sue finds them. Because uh, right. the the first scene of the movie, you see them filling up holy water bottles in Guatemala and they look at them. And I guess when vampires are near holy water, it pulses with a blue light and that starts pulsing. And they're like, they found us again. And then at the end, we see that scene again, except we see it through to the end where they go back to their shack that they're living in. And mm-hmm. uh, she's there in the bed waiting for him. And she wants to turn him into a vampire so that they can be together forever. And uh, he's like, I love you, baby. <laughs> Give me some sugar. And, uh, <laughs> but then he drives a stake through her heart. <laughs> yeah. Comes out crying yeah. and they leave and then it ends. Yep. It's the whole uh, stereotypical, like, uh, the vampire looks appealing to the to its prey to try to lure it in and then well i mean and that they, was his lady right they yeah he had a, a real yeah. thing with her and then he had to murder her so, but then you know at the same time he just kind of left her to die <laughs> that's true which was an awfully yeah. odd thing i thought I, that made no sense to me yeah well that's that's kind of what i was saying with her uh character like she it gets kidnapped and we literally don't see her again until the Guatemala scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very strange. Like, yeah. Uh, our hero, he goes in, he, he fights the vampires, him and Mark, they kill Nosferatu Smurf man. They manage to lock all of the vampires in the root cellar. And then, you know, all that's left to do is to find Sue and leave. And, you know, he loves Sue. Yep. And so instead of looking for Sue, 
He's like, <laughs> we're going to go get gas, burn the thing down and leave. Forgive me, Sue. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and, yeah. Like, like you've dealt with all the threats here. Everybody's dead. The vampires are locked up. Go find your lady. <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels like almost like something was cut or left out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like they had. Yeah, I, I was. That was really jarring as well. I had a had a real problem with that one. Um, so yeah, the both endings, the ending in Guatemala and the ending before they leave Salem's lot were, were pretty weird. I remember in the book, one of the last scenes of the book was uh, Barlow. I think it was Barlow getting on a bus and going somewhere. Do you remember that? Am I crazy? I, I don't remember. It's been just like Carrie. It's been a lot of years since I've read the book. Um, well, I remember like but, they had the whole Stephen King man in black thing. And like it was yeah. hinted at that this was one of the first appearances, if not the first appearance of the man in black. And he supposedly was Barlow in this yeah. story. And uh, yeah, I, I remember somebody survived and got on a bus. One of the vampires got on a bus and went out of town. But I don't remember exactly because it's been it's been a very long time since I read this book. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I just remember that. You know, just like in the movie, they say, you know, this this house, the Marsden house is. Is evil like it, it, it has an evil about it because of its history and uh, it attracts evil. And that's why Barlow even was even considering moving in because he was attracted to this house. Mm. And he's then, a big Red Dead fan. <laughs> Marsden, yeah. <laughs> Deep cut. <laughs> Only video game fans are going to get that one. <laughs> but why don't, okay, why don't we talk about some of the book versus movie comparisons? And so I, uh, full disclosure, because we, uh, it's been so long removed since we've read the book, I found this uh, article on the horror syndicate.com. And they did a book versus movie article on Salem's Lot. And we'll uh, uh, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. Yep. Uh, The consensus from this author, uh, Brian White, was that he didn't approve of the changes that were made in the miniseries. Uh, His biggest beef, for example, was uh, Father Callahan. And Mm -hmm. in in the book, he was quite a character. Uh, there were whole sections of chapters where he was struggling with his faith and uh, he had a big showdown with Barlow and um, it was sort of the, the book kind of went into this good versus evil religion versus uh, demonry kind of uh, connection. And of course, in the miniseries, Callahan is, <laughs> he's barely a footnote in the, in the series. He does he does uh try to save uh Mark by uh using his religious powers against Barlow, but mm. it was very brief and it made Callahan well he did a brave act, it sort of made him very very fearful, and I don't think that that's how he was portrayed in the book. 
Yeah, like I said, I, I have almost no memory of the book except for that one scene of somebody getting on a bus, and then the uh, the scene where Glick comes to the window for the first time. Because yeah. I remember that scene scaring the crap out of me in the book. That that is actually Mr. Brian White here. It made makes specific mention of that scene. Uh, he says that's one area where the miniseries did it right. It was true to the spirit of the book. Um, it pre- preserves the gothic feel of the novel with the dilapidated Marston house looming over the town and the music score, lingering shots of the full moon and vampires floating ethereally in the night. The The last thing, the last kind of big thing that he mentioned is is the depiction of Barlow. Uh, as Matt mentioned, uh, they went more with the Nosferatu, the 1920s original Dracula movie. Uh, in the in the book, he was a lot more articulate. He was more of a aristocrat, cunning, and so he actually had speaking parts <laughs> uh, in in the movie. This Barlow is mute, and He's actually not seen that much in the movie. Straker mm-hmm. is more of the the lead in the in that part. As I mentioned, it seems weird that they did that because they had so much time to work with. Um, they really could have just did a one for one telling of this of the book, and it might have made it a little better for for me. But uh, for whatever reason, they tried to they tried to change some things. <laughs> Yeah, I will say I highly recommend the book. If yes. uh, if any of you guys are readers, um, this is this was a I remember this as like a very solid and enjoyable read from start to finish. Um, I've read most of Stephen King's stuff. Uh, I had it at one point where I think read all of his books, uh, but then I got to a point where I just couldn't keep up anymore. Uh, but this was in the ones that I've read and I highly recommend it. If you're interested in the story, if you've watched the movie and like it, uh, heck you could probably read the book in about the time it makes you to watch the movie. It's only like a 400 (laughs) page book, uh, but give it a shot. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like it as much as Matt, uh, but it, it has some good parts. Uh, it's not my favorite King novel and we should, it's obvious by now, but this is Stephen King's take on a Dracula story. Um, he just said it in Maine. <laughs> he wanted to tell a Dracula story, and this is his effort. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we do star ratings? I do not. Then give me your star rating on Salem's Lot. So... Um, again, I'm sounding like a scratched record, but in the context of a 1979 made for TV movie, this is really good. Um, if I was rating it in that context, I think I would probably give this a seven or an eight. Um, however, I'm not rating it in that context. I'm rating this in the context of a movie because this is a movie podcast, not a TV miniseries podcast. (laughs) Uh, so in the movie format, it does fall apart. I think the atmosphere is great. The music's great. Um, but all in all, it falls a little short. So I think I'm going to come in on a six with this one. That's appropriate. Because I'm going to give it a five out of ten. Oh, that's, that's better than I thought it was going to get. 
but yeah, I didn't hate it. And and like I said, I can see a great movie in here and I'm no director. And probably if they're like, hey, Murphy, take this three hour, four minute thing and turn it into a great two hour movie. I'd turn it into a stinking pile of garbage. But it just seems like there are some things they could have done to to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, heck, even like I said, do a one for one telling of the book, add a third episode, make it four and a half hours. There you go. Right. Um, but obviously budget, budgetary constraints, time slots, whatever they had to deal with. But it's, it's a, it's an average, it's an average movie. I'd say mm-hmm. when you weigh all the pros and cons now for the easy part <clears throat> Of the two Stephen King movies we've seen so far, what is your ranking? <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> Number one is Carrie. And then this is underneath Carrie. No questions. Okay. I'm going to surprise you and agree with you. Oh, I was about to say, there's no <laughs> way you're putting this above Carrie. <laughs> Carrie was a better movie, hands down. Yeah. Yeah. So of the, of the two Stephen King movies we've watched, Carrie and Salem's Lot, we're saying that Carrie is number one and Salem's Lot is number two. This will get more interesting as we go on. I yes. promise. <laughs> hey, Spice Awards. Spice Awards. We have five categories. Best actor, worst actor, most unintentionally funny moment, worst scene, and best horror moment. Mm-hmm. Best actor. I think we probably are on the same page on this one. But oh, yeah. Go ahead. 100% James Mason as Richard Straker. Stop, holy man. Cut the boy's throat. Back, back, holy man. Back, shaman. Back, priest. What would you give for this miserable boy? What do you ask? What would you give to reprieve him this night to save him for another night? What do you want? The master wants you. Throw away your cross, face the master, your faith against his faith. Could you do that? Is your faith enough? Then do it. And trust him. He's so interesting to watch in this movie. He's the best actor of any of them. And that's probably why he's interesting to watch. Cause you kind of gravitate towards him, but he's also got a really cool part. He's like this cool, older gentleman dapper. He's always well kept and, but he's also pretty creepy. Superhuman strength. <laughs> Superhuman he eats like strength. four bullets before he dies and he doesn't move when he gets shot. And then he's able to pick up a grown man easily and carry him and impale him on deer antlers. Uh, that that was pretty neat, actually. I oh, forgot yeah. about that scene. Uh, I think he was probably like a ghoul or, or like had some kind of remnant of vampire power, at least. Right. Um, had had to be. I want to say the the scene where he is being interviewed by the constable was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. 
where oh, yeah. the, the constable asks him to bring in his suits and so he shows up and he brings the suits in for inspection and they just talk a little bit. I thought that scene was so good. And it may have just been yeah. that they were my two favorite actors in the movie, but it was it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That scene was good, although it didn't make any sense whatsoever to me that he went to his house, asked for the suits and then Straker was like, oh, I'll bring him by tomorrow. And then he brings him by tomorrow. He could have just went out and bought a couple of suits with no problem. Yeah. With no holes in them or whatever. Could I don't know. Tailored them or fixed that. them or whatever. But I mean, at that point, he wasn't an official suspect. So him bringing those suits in was entirely voluntary on his part. Yeah. He could have just said no. And then it would have taken even longer because they would have had to have gotten a warrant and gone and found them and all that business. Okay. Best actor. Hands down, James Mason as Richard Stryker. Worst actor. Oh my gosh. I mean, the entire cast, but go ahead. Oh, ouch. <laughs> uh, for me, the worst actor has to go to Elisha Cook Jr., who played Weasel. Weasel! What are you doing out here, Weasel? Sitting? Spying, more like, huh? Oh, no, Parkinson. Kelly sent you to it? No, no, no. Better not. That, uh, that writer moved into Eva's. Yeah. Right down the hall. I heard. Yeah. Can you, uh, can you keep an eye on him? Oh, what's he done? Keep your eye on him and your mouth shut. Or Gordon <laughs> Weasel Phillips, the town drunk. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he was <laughs> All right. Every scene that he's in, he's making these dopey faces. He looks like one of those sad clowns from the 30s. He's, he's yeah. just like moving his head and overacting everything he says and just, oh, oh, oh. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Get this guy out of here. What, what is he even in this movie? And there's also like he's he just shows up everywhere. There's a scene where um, the main character, he's like out. He gets a room and leaves for like a, a little bit. And the town drunk just walks into the house and goes into his room and starts snooping around. The lady who owns the house sees him in there and is like, what are you doing in here, weasel? And this isn't like startled or like it's like he just goes in there whenever he wants anytime. <laughs> And then they start looking together. They're like, oh, let's look at his books and his writings. And I was just like, what? Like, Weasel broke into this house and is going through this dude's stuff. It was just weird. I remember he was a lot more interesting in the book, too. Well, my pick was not because he was necessarily a terrible actor, but because of other things. But Jeffrey Lewis as Mike Ryerson. See ya.
and I picked him as worst actor because he had one of the worst main accents I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and that ridiculous vampire scene, like it was just weird. And uh, I couldn't get over it. And I, I like this actor. Like I like him in the other things that he was in, like I mentioned. Uh, but man. Yeah. You really kind of need to see that scene to get why it's so funny. Cause it might be kind of yeah. funny or it might be kind of not or spooky <laughs> just listening to the audio. So you might do yourself yeah. a favor and look that scene up uh, on the YouTubes or, or get this movie and watch it and, and look at that part. Cause it's the way yeah. he's moving and the way he looks that makes it so funny. Yeah. It's the tongue action and him yeah. just standing there in the middle Making of the room. Weird faces. <laughs> Look at me, It's just like, what? Yeah. So that was my pick. And uh, spoilers, that scene that I'm talking about is going to be mentioned later. Yeah. Um, I will say, I felt like uh, th- that part aside, I think he did okay. Uh, in particular, the scene where he's at the diner and he's talking about how he's dreaming and how he fell asleep in the graveyard and he doesn't mm-hmm. feel good. I thought he did really well in that scene. Uh, yeah. So I don't think his entire performance was, bleh, but no, that one no. iconic scene. Yeah. Yeah. Not so great. <laughs> That's all I can think of, though. It's like, that. yeah. <laughs> and then him calling for his dog. With his with that main accent, and <laughs> he didn't have to have a main accent, uh, but it was like me doing a main accent, and mm-hmm. you don't want no one wants to hear that. I don't know. I know I kind of do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was what? that? All you did was say a vowel. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> you sound like an old man getting ready to tell a story. And yeah, then we went down there to the swamp and saw that pet cemetery. I don't want to be buried in it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, all right. Jeffrey Lewis as Mike Ryerson was my pick. Matt's pick was uh, Elijah Cook Jr., who played Gordon Weasel Phillips. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Most unintentionally funny moment. And spoiler or spoiler. Just go ahead and why don't you just go ahead and take this one? (laughs) Yeah, spoiler reveal. Uh, It's the scene where Mike comes back and he's in the house. Uh, We didn't even mention that guy, but Jason Burke is the character's name, played Mm -hmm. by Lou Ayers. Uh, Goes back to his house and he's sitting in uh, this rocking chair. And uh, the old man opens the door. Look at me. Look at me, teacher. Look. 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 Look at me. No. 
he Mike stands up and he just starts moving his tongue around his sharp teeth and wagging his tongue around and then he's <laughs> and then he says look at me teacher <laughs> yeah, it's a little rough a little rough it's bad and it, it, they just it's like a probably 30 to 45 second scene and the camera's just stuck on him doing that and yeah, you yeah. think maybe he ran out of things to do and was just kind of like, maybe I'll waggle my tongue <laughs> over I, here and I'll be kind of cock my head and back up a little bit and waggle my tongue some more. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> he probably felt really silly acting that out. <laughs> yeah. It was weird, <clears throat> but I was like, it's so funny. <laughs> it was just silly. Um, All right. What's your pick for me? After a lot of debate, uh, I went with the jail attack scene. Uh, So there's the. Okay, so our main character is hooked up with uh, Sue. Yeah. Sue Norton. She has a boyfriend and he finds out. And so he shows up and he ambushes um, our, our guy. Yeah. Why can't I remember his name? Ben uh, Mears. Ben. He ambushes Ben, punches him out, winds up getting arrested. He gets thrown in jail. Well, that night when he's in jail, uh, our good friend, Mr. Barlow pays him a visit and kills him. And the scene is so ridiculous. It's supposed to be super creepy and scary, but I just laughed at it. Like (laughs) you see the guy in bed in jail and he's just kind of hanging out. And then all of a sudden you see like this hand wave and the the door opens and uh, the guy, he, he looks up. And he's just like, oh, there's a vampire there. And then you get this close up and you see the blue Smurf vampire go, hey, and the makeup's terrible and he's not that scary anyway. And I'm just like, whoa, what is this dude doing? And then you cut back to the guy in bed and he's just looking at him. like He's not going, oh, or oh, no, he's not reacting at all. He's just looking. And then the guy's like, hey, and then he goes and gets him. And then you do the whole, you know, fade away, cut, zoom in thing. Yep. And that I, adds to it. Like it was supposed to be scary, I think. But that that moment, I, I actually think I laughed out loud. I was just like, oh, what the heck is this? This is stupid. And uh, yep. yeah, that part, that part just didn't didn't do it for me. <laughs> I really I I laughed at any of those zoom freeze cut things that they did. Really, for me, most unintentionally funny moment. I think it could go to any scene with Mr. Barlow in it because he looks so goofy. For sure. I I laughed most of the time when he was on screen (laughs) trying to be scary. Like when they opened the casket up at the end and he's sitting there and he just goes, yeah, it's just like, whoa. (laughs) What are you doing, man? And yeah. then, uh, all right, I'm going to bring this up. Sorry. But the ending scene when they stake Barlow, right? He's like this superhuman vampire with crazy strength and powers, right? Yeah. No. So 
Yeah, he's just holding him down with his left hand while he's hammering in the steak with a hammer. And the guy, the Barlow is like, hey, just kind of flailing his arms around like some kind of puppet in Alien or something. Just, hey. Looks like Squidward and freaking SpongeBob. <laughs> like, what are you doing, Barlow? Like, just toss him off of you. It took me back to Pet Cemetery when freaking Gage jumps on his dad and it's like, oh, he's holding the doll and wiggling it around. Like, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, sorry. That was a tangent. I, I do want to go back to this uh, horror syndicate article for a moment. And he had a pretty good uh, sentence about Barlow. It, you were talking and it made me think about it. <clears throat> he said, uh, movie Barlow's appearance is a bit chilling. I will admit he scared me as a kid, but now with his blue skin and languid manner, he seems like an extra wandered away from the set of Dawn of the Dead and in front of Hooper's cameras. And they decided to just roll with it. Right. Like he's your, he's your big bad vampire and he looks like a daggum goon. Like <laughs> You got to like take some of that three million dollar budget, make one of the sets a little cheesier and make your Barlow look good. I mean, come on. Okay, most unintentionally funny moment. Uh, My pick was when zombie Mike or vampire Mike comes back to the house and is wagging his tongue around and being all threatening. And Matt's pick was the jail scene between Ned Tebbets and Barlow. What a name. Ned Tibbets. Ned Tibbets. <laughs> At your service. Hey, Tibbets, you coming out tonight? Yeah, come on, Ned. I can't. I Ned done got vampired in the jail. <laughs> Ned Tibbets needs a beer. Sorry. Uh, when we're making fun of people, we always give them Southern accents, I think. Yeah. It's uh, self-deprecating to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. <laughs> Uh, worst scene. Worst scene. Yeah, I got a worst scene. Okay. Uh, I was tempted to make this the most unintentionally funny scene, but uh, I thought the jail scene was funnier. So I went with this one. This is the scene where you've got um, oh, Ben and I think maybe Sue and some other people, maybe the parents, but they're all talking about Mark. And how he saw the boy floating outside the window and how he's having delusions and all this stuff. sudden the lights flicker and apparently a subway train drives over the top of the house because like you start hearing what sounds like a train and everything starts shaking and then stuff starts flying and there's like an earthquake with a train and then all of a sudden a chair flies into the scene from nowhere 
<laughs> and then a shadow turns into our blue vampire Smurf guy. And Mark looks at him and is like, hey, and like runs to give him a <laughs> hug or something. And the vampire grabs him and is like, hey, and then uh, the the priest is there, uh, Callahan, and he's like, uh, would you trade the boy's life for your own? <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know, how can I trust that you'll let him go? And, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere Straker appears and he's like hi I'm in your house <laughs> holy man <laughs> and then you know the, the vampire just lets him go like he's doing a magic trick and does like magic fingers like hey! and you know he's like and that whole scene is terrible <laughs> there was uh-huh. so much potential in that scene and the way they shot it none of it made any sense whatsoever and it wasn't scary and it was just it was ridiculous <laughs> Don't forget that Barlow kills Mark's parents by s- smacking their heads against each other. Like oh, yeah. a three yeah, that's right. Bonk, he does the, the coconut head thing. <laughs> Bonks their heads together. And they're dead. <laughs> oh. uh, that was my also my worst scene. Was it really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Specifically for me, it was the standoff between Father Call- Callahan and Barlow. But yeah, that whole... That See, I thought was, that standoff was the best part of that terrible scene. I mean, <laughs> minus the letting go of Mark, which was just it was so silly. He's like, how yeah. can I trust that you'll let him go? And Barlow's like, hey, he just lets him like magic fingers his hands. And he's like, run, Mark, run. <laughs> oh. uh, well, even uh, Rose smells a little bit good when it's buried in manure. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> I think I think you know, I got that one a little backwards, but I think I know what you're going with. Yeah. Rose flavored poo. Yeah. Because <laughs> the rose usually smells a little bit good, right? You're That's like, even saying. a rose smells good when it's oh, in poo. I see. <laughs> I, see. <laughs> I think you were saying even poo smells a little good if you put a rose in your nose or something like that. <laughs> Basically, I don't know sayings. No, yeah, I, I know what you're quit. saying. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, it's usually me getting stuff backwards. Yeah, that scene was um, pretty stinky. Agreement. We agreed on two today. That's right. Worst scene. The f- scene where Barlow enters Mark's house, kills his parents, and has the standoff test of faith with Father Callahan. Mm owner of Callahan Auto Parts. Callahan Auto. <laughs> Callahan Auto. That's uh that's not true by the way in case you don't know that. Callahan Auto Parts is from uh what was that? Tommy Boy? Ta- Tommy Boy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. All right, final category best horror moment. Uh I have one moment in this film that stood out to me is by and large the the scariest part of the whole movie. And um, it was pretty chilling to me. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm being dead serious. Like this part was pretty spooky and it wasn't supernatural at all. Uh, To me, the absolute scariest part of this entire movie is when um, George catches Larry in bed with his wife and holds the shotgun up to him. He's like, we're going to come out here and talk man to man. I can understand how upset you are, but let me explain what happened. You I see, grabbed the barrel, Larry. Huh? Barrel. 
Grab the barrel. Easy. Very easy. That's it. Now, this shotgun's got a five-pound pull on it, and I've got about three on it now. <laughs> Good boy. Now, hold it up in front of your face. That's it. Right in front. That's it. Right in front. <laughs> Careful. You move that barrel, Larry, and I'll blow you away. And they go out into the kitchen and he makes him hold the barrel and raise it up to his face and then close his eyes. And that whole scene, the tension was off the charts for me. Mm -hmm. Like I knew it was a made for TV movie, which took some of that out. But man, that scene was tense and horrifying. And to me, it was hands down the scariest part of the whole movie. Yeah, it was pretty tense. I had forgotten what I think the similar thing happens in the books. Uh, I had forgotten what uh, what happens, but I thought he was going to shoot him right in the face. Yeah, <laughs> but it turns I was out, like, oh, uh, this is a TV movie. Yeah, for for those of you who haven't seen this, uh, it, it turns out the shotgun is not loaded, but there's absolutely no indication of that whatsoever throughout the entire scene. And uh, he makes him hold the gun up to his face and close his eyes. And then he pulls both the, the triggers and the two hammers slam down and just click, click. And then when that happens, Larry just runs. And then in another somewhat comedic moment, Barlow just like <laughs> kills him like a cat <laughs> chasing a bird. But uh, the scene before that, the whole confrontation part, like he... He, uh, you know, you've got Bonnie in the bed screaming and crying and terrified. And he's like, I'm going to come back for you. And then, oh, it's so good. Yeah, that that mm-hmm. scene was great. Yeah, actually, I would say that's the best scene in the movie. Like just across the board. Um, so for me, my best horror moment. Um, like I mentioned in our uh, review, I think. Um, the Glick boy the mm. first time in front of the window scraping his nails uh, in the wind against the window of his brother's room trying to get in Obviously, you you have to know the rules of vampires, but vampires can't enter a space unless you invite them in. Right. So he's sitting, he's hovering there next to the window, scraping his nails against the window. And it sounds like nails on a chalkboard Mm -hmm. and there's smoke behind him. And 
Danny Glick gets up and opens the the uh, window and he floats in and he's got those yellow glowing eyes and the fangs and I, it was a decent good uh, part of a uh, scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was English. Yep. No, it was not. <laughs> it was just a good part of scene. How <laughs> is Babby formed? <laughs> yeah. That needs to be the tagline on this podcast. <laughs> Salem's Lot. It was decent, good kind of scene. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. I love you, I'll John. Sure, I'm just playing. <laughs> make sure and quote myself on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I definitely but, have to say that um, while I didn't pick that scene, though, I think you're right in that that is the most iconic scene in the entire film. Oh, yeah. Like that's the scene everybody remembers. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't notice the wires, like you were saying. Uh, it wasn't a wire. Um, okay. If you watch it again, which you've already said you won't, but if you went to I'm that scene watch to watch it. that scene again, uh-huh. look between the uh, the boy's legs at the floor, and mm-hmm. you'll see this like black covered pole sliding in and out. That's, okay. That he's mounted to, I'm guessing, like it's holding him up, and probably has something that moves him up and down and left and right and stuff, but. You can mm. see it really clearly, especially when he's moving towards the window and away from the window. Another reason that was uh, significant to me was like we we remembered the scene in the book. And oh, my it gosh. Was, it was pretty well represented. Oh, um, that so was so powerful added, in the book. Yeah, that added to it for me. Best horror moment for Matt. It was the stand down between Larry Crockett and Cully Sawyer. And for me, it was uh, the Glick boy scraping his nails against the window as he's a vampire on his brother's room window. Hey, Matt. Hey, John. Did you know? That James Mason jumped at the chance of playing a servant of evil. He loved the script. This was fortunate as he was producer Richard Kobritz's first choice for the role of Straker. Well, here's one for you. Mm-hmm. Originally, this was going to be a made for your film film, a feature length film that was going to be released film? in theaters. That's right. A made for film film. <laughs> this film is a film Touché. film of a film. And they used a lot of film while filming this film. But no, uh, they approached George Romero and said, hey, we want you to make Salem's Lot. And what happened was two other Dracula movies wound up being released about the same time that this would have been released. Those two being Mm -hmm. uh, John Bradham's Dracula and uh, Nosferatu the Vampire, uh, Werner Herzog, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, so when they found out that these two vampire movies were going to be released at the same time, in order to kind of get away from that competition, they were like, I've got an idea. Let's make it a three hour, two episode TV miniseries. (laughs) At which point Romero was like, "Uh, I'm out. 
because <laughs> he didn't think he could make the movie like he wanted to with the restrictions of having to put it on television. But I would have loved to have watched the George Romero version of Salem's Lot in a movie oh, yeah. or as a movie. I think we would have be doing this right now and we would be debating Carrie versus Salem's mm, Lot. Quite possibly. Although, as we've mentioned, this adaptation differs dramatically from the novel, especially in the depiction of Barlow, Stephen King still approved of it. Mm, no surprise there. King approves of everything. <laughs> <laughs> Which we haven't gotten into the any of the real stinkers in terms of the film adaptations yet, but they're coming, folks. Oh, yeah. They're coming. Coming up. Yep. They're coming to get you, John. <laughs> sorry sorry nice uh the famous scenes that we've already talked about of the kids floating outside the window those were done uh with a boom the kids were hanging from a boom uh instead boom. of from uh wires as you would traditionally expect and on top of that all of those scenes are filmed in reverse which definitely helps to like the smoke's going the wrong way kind of thing it uh, it makes everything look a little more ethereal and creepy. Well, I say filmed in reverse. They were, I guess, filmed. You can't, you know what I mean? They were shown in reverse. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know how you would film something in reverse unless you could go back in time. <laughs> After the miniseries aired on CBS with excellent ratings, there was talk of continuing it as a regular television series for a bit. Uh, it never materialized, though. Uh, Marjorie Glick, which was the Glick boy's mother, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, she was played by Clarissa K. Mason, who was the wife of an actor that we both have praised, James Mason. <laughs> so uh, the lady who played the Glick mother is the wife of Stryker. Stryker. I keep wanting to say Stryker. Ah, this uh, would lend credence to the quality of the uh, Marston house. Supposedly, the interior studio for that house cost $70,000 to construct. Mm. I believe it. That was probably the best set in the entire mm -hmm. movie. That and the antique shop. I thought the antique shop was really amazing, too. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. So Mike Ryerson's dog dies, as we've noted before, although it, it never it's never really explained how he dies. It's kind of implied that uh, Barlow did it, but, you know, we never really see anything. You just kind of hear a crashing noise and then you see the body underneath like a, a grate or something. Uh, apparently, if you look close, the, the tombstone where the dog is laying says Marston on it. And supposedly, um, this kind of implies that it uh, it has to do with the Marston house, the the evil in the Marston house. And uh, in fact, the movie doesn't go into this, but it might have been it might have had something to do with the ghosts in that house, which the book mm -hmm. goes into some, but the the movie does not. The Jeep. Oh, this is a little side note. The Jeep that Ben drives in the film is a Jeep Wrangler CJ five. And while watching the movie, I remember there were several times when he's anyone who was in the vehicle or he himself struggled to shut the door. 
There's mm-hmm. even one moment early on where he gets out of the vehicle, shuts the door. It doesn't shut. And he has to turn back around and shut the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny that the, the doors just didn't shut very well. Yeah, he struggled with that a little bit. <laughs> Felt like an episode of uh, the Grand Tour or Top Gear. <laughs> so this, uh, this book slash movie, which just was the second movie adaptation, and I think the second book as well that yep. King wrote and was created for. Uh, this is the book that kind of established a lot of the tropes that we would see moving forward in future King works. Um, that being it's in a, a small town in Maine. That's a common theme that you see. Um, you see um, larger character casts. So there's a lot more people in this. Uh, that are interesting and have stories around them and backstories and things going on about them. Um, also, the main character is a writer, uh, which is another trope that we see, um, as well as uh, there's a character that's a teacher, which is another thing that you see a lot of. So small towns in Maine, um, lots of characters with lots of uh, diving into all of those characters, which is a lot of what makes King great, in my opinion. And uh, main characters being writers or teachers. There apparently is a European cut of this movie that is 112 minutes, which is under. But it's a little over a little under two hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it has some altered scenes and a lot of things are taken out, but apparently it's been disparaged uh, by others however apparently stephen king prefers the shorter version uh, mr king originally got the idea for this story um while he was teaching the book dracula to a high school english class that you know he was teaching at the time and he got to thinking what it would be like if a vampire showed up in 1970s new england which was you know modern new england when he came up with rather <laughs> than in london Back in the 1800s, which is when, you know, you typically read the Dracula books. And so that's where this came from. It was just him thinking about that. For you uh, Star Trek nerds out there, <laughs> uh, five actors that were in Salem's Lot appeared in an episode of Star Trek, the original series. Hmm. David Soul, Elijah Cook. Julie Cobb, Barbara Babcock, and Reggie Nalder all appeared in an episode of Star Trek. Uh, Most of this movie was filmed in Ferndale, California. Uh, If that looks familiar to you, it's because there's been several movies filmed there. Uh, including Outbreak, The Majestic, and the classic, always amazing Academy Award winning film, Joe Dirt. <laughs> I got the poo on me. <laughs> so if you watch those after watching this, look and see if you recognize locations. So the uh, apparent plot hole that um you know some people have mentioned we haven't really talked about this but you know we've said that vampires have rules they have to follow uh they're burned by crucifixes they can't stand them they have to be invited in that type of thing 
mm-hmm. that seems to apply to all the vampires except for Mr. Barlow, who, you know, throws across and jumps into their house and knocks two heads together. <laughs> He's the uh, Uber vampire. Yes. Uh, Stephen King explained it basically by saying he is the uber vampire. He's the head vampire and far more powerful than all of the rest of them. And so the rules don't necessarily apply to him, Um, even though he was overpowered by being (laughs) with his flailing vampire smurf arms. Despite the fact that we've been kind of poo-pooing on the creature effects, this movie did get nominated for an Emmy for Best Makeup. Uh, yeah, it did for not TV. win that though. Yeah, for TV, it it wasn't horrible, I guess. Uh, there's a sequel to this movie. Did you know that? Uh, something about a 2004 version, or well, no, there's a there was a oh, movie there's a Return in 1987. To yeah, yeah, called Return to Salem's Lot. I have um, not watched it. No, supposedly it's terrible, and I saw a clip online, and I have to say, it probably is terrible. Yeah, in 2019, New Line Cinema announced that it's going to create another adaptation of Salem's Lot. Uh, The script is going to be written by famous horror screenwriter Gary Doberman, who uh, wrote The Nun. Uh, He wrote Annabelle. Oh, The Nun was good. uh, One of the Annabelle sequels. And he wrote It, uh, Mm -hmm. the screenplay for It. So that should be good. And then we've got James Wan producing it, who's known for doing Saw, uh, The Conjuring, and... um, Insidious. Love James Wan. So that might actually be a pretty decent redo. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be our episode. So our next King's Journey movie is going to be none other than The Shining. Oh, boy. uh, Which is also Stephen King's third book. Uh, But we won't be doing that next week. Uh, That'll be sometime down the road. Uh, but in two weeks, we will be reviewing the original Planet of the Apes, starring mm. Charlton Heston. Mm. Going to be a good one. You know what? Never seen it. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay. We'll see what happens there. <laughs> uh, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to the Cinema Men podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Head over to cinemamenpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. Again, we love to hear from listeners. So if you have a suggestion or want to give us your take on a movie, email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>